You're listening to Sounds A Bit Sinister, the only podcast that sounds exactly the same, played in reverse. We examine the names of curious phenomena to discover whether anything truly sinister lurks behind them. I'm your host, Jack Winter, and with me as always is my co-host, an eerily good simulation of Rosie Winter. Hey there. Before we begin, do you have a sinister story from history that you'd like to share? I sure do. I'd like to revisit the mystery at Berlin Gap. In August 2017, 150 beachgoers at Berlin Gap on the south coast of England were hospitalised with burning eyes, sore throats, skin irritation and vomiting. People in the nearby town of Eastbourne, about 10 miles away, reported similar symptoms and were advised to stay inside with the doors and windows closed. The most likely culprit was thought to be a toxic mist rolling in over the English Channel, possibly from a shipwreck or some illegal dumping. However, the source of the toxic mist was never discovered. Leaving the news behind, let's head over to the vault to find out what, this week, sounds a bit sinister. Today's sinister sound has been chosen by a complex series of weights and pulleys, and it is... The Antikythera Mechanism. Before we start, I'm going to give you three words from this story so that you can guess. Is the Antikythera Mechanism genuinely something sinister? Your keywords are... Greece. Shipwreck. Astronomy. What do you guess? Sinister or not sinister? Well, anything with a little bit of a shipwreck theme sounds a bit sinister, as well as something greasy, also a bit sinister. <laughs> so to be clear, you're interpreting you're interpreting Greece as like oily residue rather than the nation of Greece. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's fair to me to add uh, a little context for you. We're talking about the nation of Greece. Then I take it all back. <laughs> so you don't think you don't think there's anything sinister about. The nation of Greece. Nation no, of I don't Greece. think there's anything sinister about the nation of Greece. I was thinking more like, I was, when I was associating the word Greece, say, with the movie Greece, which is kind of sinister. Okay, you're thinking about John Travolta in tight leather pants. Yes, and questionable gender stereotypes. Oh, yeah, well, I suppose so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about the nation of Greece, shipwrecks, and astronomy. On the face of it, perhaps a bit sinister, but I'll have to know more. Okay, well, let's tell you more. The reveal. The Antikythera mechanism is a computer. Mm, yeah, you're, okay. You're right to be surprised and curious. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just any computer. The Antikythera mechanism is often described as the world's first analog computer. So, to start with, how old do you think the world's first analog computer is? Well, I know we've talked about old, old ass computers before. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, just last week we were talking about old, old ass computers. Um, I used to think it was like the 19th century and Ada Lovelace, but it's probably much, much earlier than that. You think you can go further than the 19th century? Yeah, I, I want to say maybe even 18th or 17th century. Ooh, ooh that's old <laughs> and wrong. <laughs> It actually says here in the script that you're wrong, uh, because I knew that whatever you were going to guess, there was no way you were going to get this right. The Antikythera mechanism is actually 2,200 years old. I was dead wrong. You're way off. (laughs) I mean, really, uh, when we're talking Greece, we're talking ancient Greece. 
Okay. Yeah. Ancient Greece. Ancient Greece. <laughs> so I'm thinking of John Travolta again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. John, are you okay? I've got chills. <laughs> They're multiplying. <laughs> Someone get a doctor. <laughs> go blue, go blue. <laughs> He's losing control. <laughs> it's a specific kind of computer called an orrery, which is a device for modeling the movements of bodies in the solar system. So do you remember the giant orrery in the dark crystal that Mother Augra has? Yes, yes. Now, for listeners that don't know much about the winter couple at this point, the dark crystal is one of our favourite movies. And, and TV shows. And TV shows. May it rest in peace. Mm-hmm. I've always loved the orrery in uh, the dark crystal. It's one of my absolute favourite scenes in any movie ever, when those doors open and suddenly it's before you and it's sprawling and massive. But something tells me that the orrery we're talking about is much smaller. <laughs> it is. It's much smaller. It's like if Mother Augra's orrery is a supercomputer, this is more like um, a Blackberry. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, it's a much it's smaller and less top. complex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't in- predict the conjunction of the three sons of Thra. No, no, you cannot <laughs> do that. Um, partly because, as you say, it's small and less sophisticated, and also because Jim Henson hadn't written the script for The Dark Crystal oh, 2200 years yeah. ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're on the right track. It's like a handheld version of that. Um, it was discovered in a shipwreck off the coast of the island of Antikythera in 1901 by sponge divers. Oh, okay. So sponge is in people looking for sponges to use around the house. Is... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. People who people who sponges. harvest yeah. sponges. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not people made of sponge. I'm not sure what your question is. <laughs> So it's just the, the the phrase sponge divers made me think first of divers made out of sponge. Yeah. And then I realized that was wrong. Like SpongeBob. And, like SpongeBob. And then I thought, no, they're probably harvesting sponges. Yeah, I think harvesting sponges like industrially rather than like, oh, I need to do some washing up. Need to go find me a sponge. Okay, find a sponge. <laughs> when the sponge divers returned to the surface, they reported seeing many marble and bronze statues around an ancient shipwreck. But their report was so unlikely that the captain initially thought that they had the bends. Oh, okay. Is the bends when a diver's oxygen is mixed weirdly and they start to see things because they're not breathing properly? Yeah, so I'm not 100% on this, but it's basically if you resurface quickly and you end up with far too much nitrogen in your blood, your blood basically gets fizzy. Oh, God. Yeah, it it sounds awful. It can be really painful, but it's also, it's like being incredibly drunk. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so if you just shoot to the top like a cork, then your blood pressure goes crazy and you get the wrong wrong chemical makeup of your blood. Um, and you, you might start hallucinating great underwater cities and Atlantis, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I think the captain was like, oh no, I've done it again. My boys have come back with the bends. <laughs> Last time it was Atlantis and dragons. Now it's a shipwreck with bronze and marble statues. I'm going to have to find yet another crew of sponge divers. <laughs> These ones are no good. High turnover in the sponge industry. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, uh, back then, sponges went for um, upwards of £1,000 an ounce. Is that actually true? No, not at all. <laughs> I have no idea what sponges were worth. Um, it's actually crazy to me, how, given how like totally valueless sponges are, that you would risk your life to go and get some sponges, you know? <laughs> It's a different world in 1901. It's, very, it's, it's sort of like, you know, if you had to like climb a really tall tree to get socks. 
You know, if like twenty percent of people who went after socks were poisoned or fell to their deaths in the process, you'd be like, you know what? I don't need that many socks. I I see you. I see the look that says that's not really a very good comparison. But I disagree. I think it's bang on. Well, socks aren't a naturally occurring resource, <laughs> so just the comparison's really weird. I couldn't. I couldn't think of a better one. The device was identified by Greek archaeologist Veleros Steas, but nobody paid it much attention until the 1950s, and nobody even published a paper about it until the 1970s. Okay, so what was happening to it in those intervening years? Was it just sort of left in a, in a vault box. somewhere? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know the sort of um, Indiana Jones thing. This belongs in a museum, <laughs> and they just they just sort of lock it away. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it just ends up in a box marked problems to deal with later i'll try and paint you a word picture so you can get an idea of i'm gonna paint me that word picture (laughs) the real mechanism is in archaeology terms or busted up um if it hadn't been part of a clear hellenic period shipwreck it's hard to imagine that anyone would have identified it as more than just an orbit of metal but close study of the surviving mechanism has actually enabled researchers to completely reconstruct it it looks sort of like a carriage clock it's a lot of meshing bronze gears in a wooden case with a crank on one side. Um, I know it doesn't sound like much, but it's weirdly beautiful, and it can calculate all kinds of useful things. What kind of useful things? It can tell you when there will next be an eclipse, the position of planets in the solar system, the next date of the Olympiad, which is the early Olympic Games. Um, There was confusion about when these fell because of the different calendar systems in use at the time. But no worries if you've got yourself a little handheld orrery, you can figure it out yourself. <laughs> but the applications and the accuracy of the device are such that the Antikythera mechanism has sometimes been referred to as the Philosopher's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, I like that. It's cool, isn't it? It's somewhere between the Philosopher's Stone and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was about to say, it sounds like some kind of weird uh, alternative universe fanfiction in yeah. which they... Harry Potter and Hitchhiker's Guide exist in the same thick. <laughs> Don't you think actually, it, physically, the sort of bronze interlocking gears, it, it sounds like something Dumbledore would make. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah it sounds like his put-outer. Yeah, exactly. It, sound, it sounds like that, and it, it also, as we'll come to see, crosses both science and magic. Ooh. Other points of interest. The existence of the mechanism implies other, similar mechanisms in Greece at the time. But where are they? Archaeologists okay. have never found anything quite like it. The mechanism fits a wider pattern of complex devices in ancient Greece, but seems to be more advanced than contemporaneous devices. Hmm. It could be that there were very, very few people with the knowledge of how to make something like this. There is a reference to two similar devices in Cicero's De Republica, but those were built by Archimedes. Okay, interesting. So that's that's interesting that they're both made by the same person. That does imply a sort of um, centralised skills... Yeah, he wasn't really going around telling people how to do this. Well, if he told people how to do it, then way too many people would know how to make it, and then he would be out of business. Also, I bet if you told me how to make one of these, I would not end up being able to make one of these. (laughs) You just nod along. (laughs) Yes, Archimedes, I completely understand. (laughs) I'll get right on that. How do I, like, smelt bronze? Was it a geocentric model of the universe, or was it heliocentric? Uh, well, that's a good question as well. I believe it was a geocentric. Oh, so it's kind of wrong. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, it it was kind of wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think it was wrong on a scale that would prevent it from accurately predicting the things they set it up to predict. They didn't miss the Olympics. <laughs> that was the key thing. 
<laughs> so it might be the case that you'd need to wait for someone as clever as Archimedes to come along if you wanted your own mechanism. And that might explain why, when the knowledge of how to build something like this was lost in antiquity, it didn't reappear until the 14th century. So is that when the, the next... That, that's when the next exists. comparably yeah. complex piece mm -hmm. of physical manufactured engineering exists. Uh, exists. Yeah. Where is that held? Oh, that would be a really good thing for me to have done research on. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like to leave people with a, a few questions. Okay. So uh, mm -hmm. if you really want to know, I, I, I imagine you can Google it. I love that thought of ideas just completely dropping out of history for a while. Yeah. I wonder how many times that's happened. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because I was looking at classical art memes. <laughs> and you know how like um, perspective in in drawing, in painting, there's a there's a kind of a clear like progression of that. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. people, people understood how to draw a cube mm -hmm. for maybe like 400 years. And before that, it was all just like two dimensional people walking, you know, like Egyptians. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm occasionally you see a little glimpse of, of someone sort of getting it. It's like, I'm going to draw this horse from like three-quarter profile and I'm going to use foreshortening to, to make it look real. Like it's coming at you. But then, you know, it's like another thousand years of people just drawing horses in profile. Yeah, and I'm imagining those like Renaissance paintings where they've got it a little bit wrong, where they've tried to do foreshortening and it ends up with a tiny head and a very muscular body of a horse. Yeah. Um, kind of like all those really adult-looking baby Jesuses. I was thinking about the adult-looking baby Jesuses. really <laughs> hench baby Jesuses. There are. I wonder how much that has to do with skill level or taste, though. Like, I want my baby Jesus to look like a young adult. You know, I don't think it can be entirely uh, skill level, because if you look at the works of Da Vinci, mm. he routinely drew muscular babies with basically human adult proportions, but small. Yeah. And I think he was capable of drawing babies. He must have seen some babies at some point. Yeah, I think it probably is more, more style than it is anything. I have bloody to deal bloody with Renaissance and its unrealistic standards of baby henchness. <laughs> what, what baby can live up to the standards set down by Da Vinci et al? No baby. No baby. No baby. One thing that's really interesting about the kind of knowledge embodied in the Antikythera mechanism is that it might not be exclusively scientific. Some of the remaining inscriptions detail when eclipses will happen, but also what colour they will be, something which they obviously can't have known in advance. So what's the significance? These predictions hint that the mechanism had some kind of fortune-telling aspect, and that it was intended to do more than predict astrological events. It may have been used to interpret the meaning or significance of those events, because different colours had different cultural you know, signifiers mm -hmm. of the time. And that brings us to almost the end of the show. Conclusion. So, after all that rosy winter, now you have all the facts. Is the Antikythera mechanism a bit sinister? No. I'm going to say the Antikythera mechanism is not that sinister. I kind of really like the idea of it as this um, map of the world and the universe and how it works. It's cool, right? They it were is cool, out. yeah. I like the thought process behind it. I like how it's a, a device used to try and, try and figure out the world around you mm -hmm. and how it's going to work. There's nothing sinister in that. How about you? Do you think it's a bit sinister? I don't know. I think it's awesome. It's it's sort of like, you know, they're, they're reaching out from really, you know, that long ago, quite a small worldview. We're talking about Greece, and, and Greece isn't even really a, like a single nation. It's 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 a it's a bunch of city-states. There is no, you know, global hegemony, but they've got this, this view of the universe, which I find really fascinating. And in a similar way, it's almost like they're 
reaching across time a little bit. Mm-hmm. This is this is this artifact, this relic that sort of says you didn't think we could do this. And also, it didn't occur to me just how many mechanisms like it have probably existed throughout history and mm. and probably in literature and popular culture, like in the Dark Crystal, as we have come back to several times. We're gonna have to clarify that Dark Crystal aren't like giving us some cash. Yeah, the defunct Netflix show Dark Crystal is not like sponsoring this episode. But maybe if we talk about it enough, they'll bring it back. They never brought back fire. Like we didn't stop talking about that in 20 years <laughs> that's all from us today thanks for listening if you have an idea for next week's sinister topic bring it to the moon child on the eve of the first harvest or get in touch at soundsabitsinister at gmail.com or twitter at sounds sinister bye goodbye goodbye